Kamenetsky Brothers Podcast. Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky. It is Thursday, the Wednesday, Wednesday, the twenty third of May, May two thousand eighteen, in the year, year of our, of our Lord. Lord. Yeah. Right. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> That's just nice. I'm nice. I'm happy about that. Um, so yeah, a fair amount going on. We're get, we're getting closer and closer to the draft. Uh, again, I'd like to remind people that when the, the Lakers put out those lists of who's showing up to El Segundo, uh, Andy and I are not sure who the real people are and who the fakes are, who the decoys are. Although, uh, the Greek fake's little brother. Yes, he's in the, he's in this week. Yeah, that, uh, today, I believe. I you think know, he's actually working out as we speak. Yeah, you know what they call that? Tampering. That, <laughs> that's, that's kind of exciting, though. And I, apparently, I him. apparently, too, uh, Leangelo is going to get a workout. Yeah. Great. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, well, look. Water I, mogul Leangelo Ball. Right. Actually, you know, I haven't had a chance to look this up. Apparently, the prices for those that, like, the, the Triple B League or whatever are astronomical. They're like the shoes. Like, so if you want to go see uh, the little guy play with all of his, like, his uh, NBA hopefuls, it's not like they're letting you in cheap, like, minor league baseball or, or something. Or, like, summer, you summer league. Yeah, well, I mean... We like, talk, pay a lot. We've talked about this before. LeVar Ball, as a businessman, whether you like him or not, he his approach is the equivalent of how Sasha approached making wine. Like, Sasha has two bottles of wine from his uh, winery, and the least expensive bottle, I believe, is $75. That's the least expensive. Which is, you know, for, if you're a fine vintner, Sure, but I'm just saying, like, Sasha, but, like, Sasha for a guy starting the, at zero. Right, that's what I'm saying. Sasha came out of the gate and is like, $75, $95. I think he had like a $115 bottle. Boom. Like, even like Francis, like Francis Coppola was like, well, you know, we'll have Cheaper. a $30, $25. Right. And, if, and, if you were, and it wouldn't be such a big deal, except you look at him and you say, yeah, isn't that guy the sh- like the, the shooting guard for the Knicks or, <laughs> <laughs> or whatever? Um, so, yeah. I mean, when when uh, you say, why would I buy wine from, from Sasha, Sasha Vujicic? I, I actually always say to myself, why wouldn't I buy wine from Sasha Vujicic? Um, but anyway, so we'll see if I can find the, the details about that. I'm not, I mean, even if it's cheap, I'm not going. The price is not what's keeping me away from from going to watch that minor league, but um, it, it is interesting. Uh, so we'll see if we can figure that out. Um, but anyway, so there's there is some ground to cover, uh, though, with the Lakers as we start getting into the draft and as July one approaches, because obviously that is uh, a significant date for the league and the Lakers, particularly. Uh, let's start this week with Julius Randle. He is a restricted free agent. And there is probably, would you agree, Andy, nobody whose status as a Laker is in greater limbo than Randall? Because it seems like, you know, if the Lakers can keep him, they probably will. Um, but he'd be the first guy to be sacrificed in the event of major free agent acquisitions. No, nobody's nobody's pendulum sp- you know, swings more wildly than could be brought back for like a four-year Eighty million dollar deal, or, or might not or be even on the more. team, right? Right, or might not be on the team. Like it's it's the extremes with Julius are wider than anybody else who played on the team last year. All right, and so the politics are already out there and starting where uh, Aaron Mintz, who is Randall's agent, and also it should be noted Paul George's agent. Um, yeah, I, I want to touch on that in a bit. But yeah, go, he, go ahead. He has said he said this week that he's a little confused. They're all a little confused as to uh, what's going on with um with Randall quote we still have no indication of where Julius stands among the Lakers priorities or if he's still a priority at all um says Mintz we are looking forward to the marketplace in July and we will get a clear picture of Julius's future I wouldn't expect Andy the Lakers to say anything much different than they already have and this was from Rob Palenka basically saying look we've been communicating we're interested in julius bringing back but obviously the front office can't commit to something because they can't um and obviously mince is playing some politics here and setting a market and all these other things but it does drive home the the problem that the lakers are going to be facing because come july 1 it seems like whether it's dallas or someone else somebody is going to put a pile of money in front of randall quickly and force the lakers into a decision yeah i mean the lakers really have to hope for the for the sake of their own plans that they come to some type of understanding with paul george who again is represented by aaron Mintz, so maybe that part becomes a little bit more easy but also too what's going on with lebron 
and how long LeBron, who typically takes his time with these type of decisions and likes to you know turn free agency into his own personal carnival and have everybody pay attention. Why wouldn't you if you're that guy He's and right, you can do corn dogs <laughs> and carnies and and crooked games that nobody can actually win because you know the ring won't just, fit around. He's got so much money already it seems to grift people like that over like gold well, you know that the opening for that fishbowl like it's it's not it's very big small. enough oh yeah and i mean the ball's are, not going in the fish aren't going to live much longer than a day anyway um but i mean like you know he there's a lot that could go sideways potentially for the lakers if they're looking to play this thing really cute or you know if they're really willing to wait out lebron and, you know, things could change depending on what's going on with Kawhi Leonard, what, you know, if a guy like DeMar DeRozan ends up on the market, whatever. But there's, there is a lot that could, the worst case scenario for the Lakers is potentially striking out on pick your big name or pick your big names. And in that time waiting for those right, guys to come up with a decision, you lose Julius. The good news is there's, there, there is time. So, I mean, sure. Like, I think there, 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 some people, Kind of worry in the in that sense, like oh, Dallas offers a contract on July one, and the Lakers have to know by you know before the holiday whether or not they need to get it done. It's not. I mean, they still get the. I think it's 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 basically a week before you, anybody can actually sign a deal, and then the Lakers would get to the the seventy two hours. So it's about ten days, give or take. I'm sure it's that long, but it's, about, it's but they they have time. I, the the I point think being, it's over a week. I'm, I'm, you know, when it's also. This is where the tampering comes in. I and I was just about to say that this Brian, this is where you got to have done enough of your homework that you have an idea of, you know, you know what, we're we're in it with LeBron. We're not in it with LeBron. You know, because in theory, being in it with George and being in it with LeBron are two very different things. Being in it with all these other trades that may be going on somewhere else where maybe you want to let Randall go because you want to absorb a contract or you want to be able you can acquire somebody else some other way. You you have to go in on July one with a really good idea of what the landscape is going to look like, because otherwise you are Andy. I think in that situation where maybe you just your your you know, the paralysis of a deal on the table for Randall becomes problematic. I am, I'm not as worried about it as I used to be. I think they'll have it together. But there are going to be a lot of moving parts this summer. Well, I mean, and what I think is interesting about Mintz's comments, because like we noted, he also reps Paul George. So in theory, he would have an he would have a decent inside track on what the Lakers are thinking because, you know, they, they he's has an opportunity to be in contact with Rob and Magic all the time, get a good idea of their thinking regarding Julius, the opportunity to talk around Paul George and like, you know, sort of where where the future and Paul George line up. It's it's all tied together. So there's a possibility that either A, Mintz may not really have a good sense of the Lakers thinking with Randall in the future because they've sent definitive messages that Randall is kind of a back burner guy. I, like, I'm just I saying, there's a, he, there's a, he, there's a you know, that there's exactly interest and there's vague, or it's vague because Magic and Rob have not done nearly enough tampering. I, no, I, just, I, think, the, I think Aaron Mintz knows exactly what the deal is. The, he knows that the Lakers. If they don't get LeBron in LeBron, if if LeBron comes with Paul George, and you know they brings you know they, they facilitates another, they're not going to keep Randall. They don't have the space for him. If LeBron doesn't come, then I think they want to keep Randall. And I think you know Mintz knows that he's also trying to make sure that there's a market for his client. So no, I know, understand that. Basically, what it comes down to is Julius Randall is a priority. He is not the priority, and. It's it's funny because and this sort of gets us into some of the other stuff that that that's been reported on this week. You know, uh, Tanya Ganguly wrote a story for the LA Times, which essentially amounts to the Lakers love the young core; they'd love to develop them. Um, nobody's untouchable, which is you know essentially we're open to anything, which is exactly what. It, what Although it, it is be. interesting though, because we are just a year removed from Magic describing Brandon Ingram as untouchable, and the front office treating Lonzo before he had done anything. As untouchable. I mean, they presented him as an untouchable, right. transcendent I, franchise I face. I think, though, this is less about feeling differently about those players as it is understanding no, how I, you're supposed to speak. No, I, I get stuff. that. I'm just saying it's interesting. It's like we, we talked about this before, Brian. Like, there were, there would potentially be, you know, a period for the Lakers, you know, in the not-so-distant future where we are going – where, say, LeBron and Paul George are on the team – and we're with Lonzo, 
And we're just going to have to pretend that that whole franchise base uh, transcendent player For thing, sure. like never happened. But all of it never got said. This is, I mean, it, it all, this is where I'm not saying there's anything right, bad about it or whatever. I'm just saying right. it's hilarious. It is, and we're making mistakes. It's hilarious it's a to me of what they were doing before about you know talking about guys as the future of the franchise while also saying that oh by the way, but as soon as we get the guys who are better than you with the two max free agents, someone you guys are going to have to take a back seat. I mean, it's it's just. It was it was why they shouldn't have been using the language that they were using before, but you know, I mean, currently it's just that setup where we're open to everything. Nobody is untouchable. Nobody on this team should be untouchable. The, you get back to it. You know, we we touched on it a little bit last week, Andy. Toronto could be moving those guys, uh, their backcourt. Portland could be moving guys in their backcourt. Uh, Boston has too many good players and might be in a situation where they want they want to trade Kyrie or the Wizards. The Wizards need to break up. And it's interesting, by the way, that all these teams that seem to be failing have high powered one two combos. You know what that tells me? I don't know if I want a high powered one two combo on my team as what drives it because that doesn't seem to be a great formula. But um, it de- it, I mean, it depends. It depends on the combo. I it mean, all depends. It depends look, on the combo. The, the, Ro- the Rockets right now are tied two to two against the Warriors, and they are decidedly powered by a one-two combo. They are, but they. I mean, but they they managed to fill it out better with you know they have that dominant third piece in in terms of uh, defensive play with Capella that that I think has changed them a little bit. <clears throat> but it does seem that you better have some you know, some really other good pieces or Harden and Paul. As opposed to, you know, Lowry and DeRozan, which is a pretty good combo, or McCollum and Lillard, which is a really good combo. Like one of those dudes, if you're going to, well, have unfortunately, a like that, unfortunately, Serge Ibaka went very quickly from potential third guy to ew. how do we play him? Yeah, icky. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that's ultimately where it fell apart for Toronto. It's I think hard. they thought they had that guy. Sure, it's hard to do better as a backcourt combination in terms of pure talent than Bradley Beal and John Wall. Yeah. I mean, John Wall is really good, but he's not James Harden. And so, you know, there's there there there's a there's a, a threshold, I guess, maybe you also have hurts if they can't stand playing together. There, <laughs> like the, whole, the whole team there's seems that. to they seems all to not enjoy seem being to with hate each other. each other. Yes. Like a lot. Yes. I mean that um, that that also though prevents you from reaching a ceiling. But anyway, so the the all of these moving parts make it so the Lakers don't have you can't go into this offseason sure. with an iron no, nobody on this team has earned the right to be considered where, like you know we, we won't do this we will do this because they're the only team that has young assets young assets and gobs of cap space other teams have some cap space but the lakers have gobs of it and so you know they shouldn't have a preconceived notion but I, I think it's fair to say that Rob Palenka has got about 9,000 different plans that have been laid out, um, so I'm not worried about that. he speaks of all of them in very flowery terms, um, and biblical. So, I mean, it, the, I'm not surprised by any of the news that's coming out of El Segundo and the fact that it's all very vague and noncommittal towards anything in particular. Um, but it does get you to thinking, like, what would, if you had to rank these guys, in terms of in, touchability. In, in terms of touchability. Let's look at you know, the the scene in the Untouchables. <laughs> like the the accountant, uh, that guy was touchable. Yeah, as they showed when they wrote touchable. Well, he unfortunately in his blood. He he unfortunately was not. Uh, he, he was unfortunately not touchable in the expen you know in the expendable sense. He was touchable in the right. sense he wasn't protected. They, 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 they killed him. Yeah. Well, I mean, and like, then hung him in an elevator. Yeah. And then uh, used his blood to deface the elevator. Yeah, in graffiti. <laughs> it's you know what you know what that is. It's pounding your point. It's a tough way to go. <laughs> it's pounding your point. Yeah, it's home. really driving that home. Al, Al Capone was not a man of subtlety. No, um, and so you know, if, if you had to rank these guys though in the order of touchability to untouchability, mm-hmm. which sounds oh. not <laughs> as, um, as, as, as to steal the line from Arrested Development when uh, <laughs> no touching, no touching. <laughs> what's his name? Uh, who's the actor that plays? Um, uh, you know, I, I I blew myself. Oh, uh, that's uh, David Cross. David Cross. Like so he paints his face blue, and he says, you know, he's joining the Blue Man Group, and he says, I blew myself. And Jason Bateman says, There's got to be a better <laughs> way to say that. The touchability to untouchability, same thing. Um, but what? Where? We, let's let's go through uh, Ingram, Lonzo, Kuzma. We'll throw Randall in there. Even he is part a, of the conversation. He's in a different place, but all things being equal, we'll pretend Hart, um, Bryant. Caruso. 
Mm. Just the five guys who matter. You don't want to do Caruso? No. We assume we'll both start with Caruso as most expendable. Thomas Bryant and Alex Caruso <laughs> don't count. That's why I'm not including them. They don't no count. No Zubats? No. All right. Who's your number five? I don't care of Zubats on the team next year. Um, my number five was Josh Hart. Although I, I, although I have to say, Hart's leadership potential made me debate ranking him higher than his pure ceiling might justify. Like, he seems like he could end up a better version of Derek Fisher, and Fisher was a really important part of Kobe's five championships, particularly the the latter two when Fisher was, like, the only teammate that Kobe would inexplicably trust, even when there was so much tangible evidence, like, no, really, you should trust Powell or <laughs> Bynum or Lamar more than Fisher. Like, him trusting Fisher, like, helped get him, I think, back on the same page with the Lakers and just, you know, the idea that he would give up the ball to eventually have it go somewhere else from Fisher mattered. And Fisher had some big moments in the playoffs as well. And, you know, Hart to me looks like he could be a legit good rotational starter. I have him at five as well, but he's he's so that guy that you know a team will ask for him because – there's there's sort of no downside. You know he's going to be a good player in the league for a while. Probably never a star, but just a good player. And where you it's like okay, if it means we get Kawhi Leonard, you have to make that deal. Sure. If it's like you know we're going to get John Wall, you have to make. But man, it hurts to put him in. Like you really hate putting him in that deal. In a lot of ways, it's like Larry Nance, except I was more willing to move Nance because Nance, as we've seen a little bit in in the playoffs. Does seems to ebb and flow in terms of his confidence, in terms of his um, sort of willingness to put an imprint on a game and things like that in ways that I don't think Hart will. I nope. think Hart takes much more ownership and exudes a, a leadership and a confidence. Yeah, I was going to say, doesn't. Hart, if he's on this team in five years and, and, and remove like, you know, what established all star could be a part of it, Paul George, LeBron, whatever, I'm just saying among this core of young players. Josh Hart will be one of the leaders on this team, even if he's the fifth or sixth best player no question. on the team. Hart will be one of the leaders. Number four. I went back and forth on this. It this was hard. And we'll, we'll, we'll get to this at the end, but this was difficult. Yes. Putting I, these guys in order like this was very difficult. I went back and forth between Julius Randle and Lonzo, mm-hmm. and ultimately I landed on Randle, but it's closer. It's Boy, it's hard. And the way I would sum it up, beyond the fact, I mean, I think anybody who listens to this podcast or listens to us on 710 knows we're both big Randall fans. We've been Randall fans since he entered the league. And, you know, the the leap that he made this year as a player, particularly defensively, really shows his value in the modern NBA. Randall's ceiling, I think, is theoretically lower than Lonzo. But there are a lot of times that I have more confidence that Randall will reach his absolute highest ceiling than Lonzo. Yeah, I think that's true. I, I think, and also too, it's like he's still twenty three. Still twenty three. And if he, you know, we we all woke up one day, and Brooke Lopez suddenly was a competent three point shooter exactly. after ten years in the league. And I was listening. To, you know, Ireland was saying that you know that apparently Randall goes out and he shoots a thousand three pointers a day. A thousand five hundred yeah. in the morning, then he has a snack, and he shoots five hundred in the afternoon. And he has a sensible dinner. <laughs> so <laughs> new that's where you were going. <laughs> Shake for keep, breakfast. No, keep going. Keep yeah. going. But I <laughs> don't want to go down this. Sometimes rabbit hole. you just have to entertain yourself. Um, so if he's doing that, I refuse to believe that a person who shoots a thousand three pointers a day for like a summer and then comes back and does it again next summer and then does it again. By the time he's, I don't know, 27, won't be at least good enough to do it in a game. And Julius Randle is one outside shot away from being literally the perfect NBA big. Like, perfect. You know I mean? He can can handle handle, the ball. He can handle the ball. He can score. You know, whatever lack of length does not bother him scoring inside against bigger players. Right, and it, 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 he as can he, switch on as defense. As he gets older, it could be more problematic and he loses some of the explosiveness and athleticism. You know what? People said that about Zach Randolph for like the True. last 10 years. He got a lot savvier. Zebo's a little longer, though. A little longer, but not and, much. I mean, maybe he's got, you know, he's got longer reach. And, and, and Randall is more explosive, right. though, than Zebo has when, never jumped. When, but that's my point, is when Randall's explosiveness starts to go, you could worry about 
other, you know, it's whether or not long way he's 23. Now. I'm not worried about that right yes. now. And so you the know, versatility, the second max contract he gets. So if you tell if you tell me there's a 50 percent chance of him developing a, a, a solid outside shot, and it's probably higher than that. I mean, you, you could bump him up way higher I, again this. i went i went back and forth really like, like three I and really f- want to keep the guy around like really three and four i went back and forth oh but in a lot of ways two through four i i thought about different combinations but you know the the separation certainly between three and four for me wasn't that big and pull pull julius out of the all things being equal um equation that we set this up with for a second because obviously all things are not equal in reality with given what we just talked about if somebody puts out $22 million a year for Randall, and you have the space, LeBron says no, or you just don't think he's coming, whatever it is, would you give it to him? Yes. Without hesitation. Yes. I wouldn't even think about it. I think it. it probably would, too. Uh, there, I, it feels like a lot of money. Again, I mean, moving the, the LeBron part of it, Paul George, whatever, like you obviously have to have the space for this. Right. If Julius Randall continues to play the way he's been playing... There's a chance he could end up looking like he's underpaid in the you know in the NBA moving forward, but at the very least he will be movable. Right, you will be able to move him. And who else are you going to get exactly. that puts up the same numbers that won't exactly. cost you the same amount of money? I mean, Julius Randle, that person is much more likely to be 29 or 30 than they are. 23. He's one of the best free agents on the market. He is. I think if you go after the superstars, he's the best non-superstar. Yes, yes. There's no question. So. Uh, number three, I had Lonzo. And this is where it gets hard, too. Lo- and we've discussed this a lot during the year. Lonzo's rookie year was difficult to peg. It's all extremes. Like, the stuff he does well, he often does exceptionally well, and these are skills that can be hard to find in a point guard. And the stuff he does not do well, he does poorly for the time being, and it looks ugly while he struggles. Like, there's nothing Lonzo does like, yeah, he's fine at it. And, and those extremes, like, those extremes make you recognize, like, A, the possibilities for Lonzo if he can reach his true max, but also what could stand in the way, like what could hinder him. You know, like, you know, the, you can see where Lonzo could end up really, like... Oh, if you don't fix X, you are, you know, that's your ceiling. Like, yes. There's a, there's a hard cap to what he can be. There are visual, right. like, there are visual reminders to what could stand in Lonzo's way. And I'm going to be honest, too, I do have concerns about LeVar being in his ear too much. I do. That's this is. I'm glad you brought that up because I I still because I I don't like there's certain things about the whole like I, I he's a perfectly nice kid. Yes, I, I mean, he's, he seems perfectly nice and and all that. I find a lot of the stuff around him annoying. You know, I find the Facebook stuff annoying. I find you know the the Facebook show you're referring to. Yeah. Okay. And, and you know, and I find the. Sort of the, the 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 marketing of triple the the triple B's marketing of him, where it's both the shoe, but also like this sort of you know smoldering Lonzo stares into the camera kind of um, they're almost making him out to be like a model. I mean, it's just it's like and some of the noise around him, which isn't really his fault. You know, his unwillingness to answer anything about anything ever. Um, you know, be, passing off. Yeah. You know, I also think he's got a, a really, like a sort of a stupid hairline, <laughs> but that's not his fault. <laughs> like it, it would, his, he's missing an inch of his head. It needs to be head needs to be taller. <laughs> that's not his fault. It's <laughs> probably a procedure. That's for that. that's I, I will chalk. That's a me thing. Mm-hmm. That's me being judgmental and unfair. And who am I to judge anybody's hair? Well, I mean, look clearly. Look clearly, you weren't being too petty about this because you didn't make him number four. No, like you, no, you could have lowered him in the rankings because of his hair. Just that, yeah. Travis would have. Travis absolutely would. Um, like when he cut off the the pencil eraser, I was like, "Oh, this will be better." And I was like, hey, "It's really not." No, the Put pencil eraser was better. Um, so I, I, you know, stuff like that. I just and I'm I, the hype around him and the, I can almost feel it becoming another, a different version of the. I'm going to have to have arguments about Lonzo in the same way that I had to have them about Kobe for like 10 years of my life. And it was so exhausting and counterproductive and stupid that I, I, I almost want to trade Lonzo just so I won't have to have those arguments. 
That's not fair to him. <laughs> Again. But, I mean, do you understand what I'm getting? Like, I, I he do. He has the potential to become a remarkably polarizing figure around the league. He absolutely does. I mean, he already is. Right. Um, and in, in ways, in whereas Kobe did that a lot based on his own personality, for Lonzo it would be But Kobe was also completely, Kobe. Right. It would be stuff that's completely external to him. And so then I feel bad for him, and I feel like a jerk for thinking of the things that I'm thinking. But the potential is there. I it's point being it's hard to separate some of the noise about Lonzo and the hype from well, Lonzo you know what, that, from what he's actually doing that, and his play on the court aside from the shot and the health which is a big deal the health is a big deal i have concerns about his durability right. i do and, and the, you know those are things that are are that matter and so do you, trying to put him above kuzma it's like i i feel like i know exactly what kuzma is going capable of being I feel like he's going to work hard at it. He's a little older, so I think you know we got to temper your expectations a little bit there. But he's going to be—he's obviously a very good scorer at this level. And if he improves his defense, he is—it's already a good rebounder too. Pretty good rebounder, yeah. And if he improves his defense, he's an Antoine Jameson caliber guy, which is. Or maybe even a little better. I think he's better. I think but if then, he improves that, he's but point better. Point being, he. I mean, James, first of all, if James he improves All Star team, right? But if he improves his defense, then by definition, he's better, but, he's better than Antoine but Jameson. But he's not a better scorer yet than Jameson. Maybe not. But but point. My point is, Jameson was an All Star. Yes, and so that makes Kuzma an All Star caliber player. Lonzo's transcend, but what what Kuzma does is more conventional and kind of. Uh, standard, for lack of a better term, just being—it's valuable, but we know what it is. Lonzo still, though, has this appeal, and this is why I put him ahead of Kuzma. So you have Kuzma three, Lonzo two, two. Okay. Is if Lonzo really does hit in in the way that everybody hopes he is, he can. He's he's much closer to a unicorn than Kuzma is. I would agree with that. And I, I am, I am tempted by the the possibilities of what you can do with a Lonzo in three or four years when he really understands the league. The shot is fixed. Still a great rebounder. The vision's there. He's you know got a better team around him with smarter, better players, and all that kind of stuff. And so I I, I hold on to him ahead of holding on to Kuzma because I feel like if it turns out that you have something that's a little more special than what you have with Kuzma. And the floor with Lonzo is still quite high. You know, he's already a good player. And so even if he never quite gets there, he's still got a really good player. Uh, really quick before I get to why I had Kuzma at number two, and you obviously so broke... I've, I've done my whole... Right, you, yeah, I was going to say, you broke down, I mean, a lot of points that are, that are positive about Kuzma that I'll, get, that I'll get into. Really quick, when I was talking about LeVar, though, with Lonzo... I wasn't specifically referring to the noise that LeVar creates, you know, about Lonzo or the or the other two kids. I'm talking specifically concerns that LeVar No, I understand. Will, yeah, well, yeah. I will, but yeah. I want to make sure it's just it's clear because it's not really what we touched upon. Like concerns that LeVar's presence in Lonzo's life and the and the sway that he clearly holds over all three kids. I'm not saying that I think Lonzo is uncoachable now, and everything I everything I've heard is that the staff enjoys working with him and that he puts in the work, whatever. But you know, Lonzo is a very specific style of player, and the mm-hmm. style is all the way his dad sees the game. And by the way, I don't think that his the way Lavar sees the game is necessarily wrong. Like there there are parts there are, of it I I, I the, would disagree with well there are elements there are elements of it i think he's right elements of it i think he's wrong i mean the mellow shooting from 47 feet sure i mean but some of some of that never though, playing defense sure i i was gonna say some of that though i think is just him trying to create hype around his children at the expense of their development but that also though gets to if you, lonzo is and i've never seen this before i've never seen this in a, in a player lonzo is a well-rounded player with terrible fundamentals which is bizarre well, some of his fundamentals. Fundamental, some of his fundamentals are terrible. Right. Some are quite good, but, but some are bad. But he's got a lot of wonky fundamentals, and I think you know the good end of it and the bad end of it in some ways reflects LeVar, it's and just it just all, reflects always, the concerns I have. It's different when it's the dad than it is, oh, he's got an agent, or he's got an uncle, yes. or he's got someone. Can't uh, fire your dad. Can't fire your dad. Um, I just, I, I've tried really hard to kind of separate the things that are 
external to Lonzo that really have nothing to do with them that are more about I just don't want to get into that. Sure, sure. And um, but this to me is something that could affect him on the court. I could, I can picture myself becoming tired of the whole Lonzo thing. No question. Uh, quickly with Kuzma though, the the ultimate reason that I had him number two that ha- that hasn't come up, you know, beyond the scoring, beyond you know the things that he does well, and he's got things he needs to clean up in his game. He is determined as anybody I think on that team to be as great as he can possibly be. I agree. Like Kuzma is serious about basketball. But also, too, like, and I, I hate the way this term gets thrown around, but he's an alpha male, and he does it in a way that doesn't alienate teammates or, I think, you know, get caught up in either truly irrational confidence or, like, you know, truly selfish play. Like, he grew a lot over the year when it comes to, I think, being, self, you know, more selfless, looking for his teammates more. But he also, though, too, I think of all the young players they have, Kuzma has the most superstar potential in terms of just charisma, mm-hmm. like in terms of getting guys to want to play with him, like, you know, taking cues from him. Like, like Kuzma has real, you can question whether or not he has superstar talent potential, but in terms of, the, you know, he's got the attitude in terms of, sort of wiring, the, right, yeah. he has no the question. wiring of a superstar. And I think that matters. Uh, we both have Ingram at number one. Yep. And for me, it's because I think simply he is the best player of all these guys. You know, yep. he, he makes his history is one of making leaps. Um, he quietly became a good outside shooter this year. He figured out how to attack the rim despite, despite still being a, an undersized guy. He can pass the ball. He's a good rebounder. He's got handle. He very obviously wants to be a great player. If you talk to Trudell and the other guys in the building, he is that guy. He's the first one there. He is the last one to leave. And he is working, not playing Fortnite while he is there. Not that the other guys aren't, but it's not fake effort. He's putting it in. Um, and I, I, he's, in a lot of ways, he's Kuzma without the sense of humor. Um, he's Kuzma without the big personality and wanting to talk uh, a lot and being outward about this stuff. Dude's got a lot of dog in him. And I, I, yes, I feel like yes, people he does. criticize him for not having that attitude. I'm like, I, I don't, you're, you're either not listening to him or not watching him or whatever. He just, it's like saying Kawhi doesn't have it in him because he just doesn't talk a lot. He's a, Ingram's a quiet guy. But, you know, Kawhi is quiet and very obviously is on the floor in terms of his belief in his talent, his willingness to try to get better and to be the best player in the league is that guy. And I, I Ingram is as well. He just doesn't talk about it a lot. So you, you might need a, another guy with him in L.A. to play that role for kind of cosmetically for the city. But you don't have to worry about him you know, not being enough for you know to be he, the best look, player. You and I have spent time in that LA. locker room at practice. He's respected among oh, his yeah. peers a lot. Absolutely is. I, to me, and I agree with you, he's number one. Nobody among this young core has the greater combination of ceiling, established talent, work ethic, seriousness, and physical tools. I mean, that, that length is insane. And he's still a baby. Yes, He's barely older than Lonzo. Lonzo, yes. And so I, I just, I, 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 I feel we've also been fans of Ingram before it was fashionable. We, I, that's true. We were a lot of things before us. We're never fashionable. No. Um, it's really hurt us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Put it that way. I just feel like, you know, the, the desire to constantly move on to the next thing, you know, Kuzma be, to be amazed by, the potential of Kuzma, particularly where they got him, and and how much of an asset he can be for the Lakers, not just as a player, but as a as a cap figure going for the next couple of years, and the the debate around Lonzo, it, it becomes easy to forget that Ingram, I still think is the best player of all of them. Yeah, and and the good news, by the way, is that we're even having this conversation speaks to the the potential and talent that the Lakers have in front of them. No I don't want to trade any of these five. I don't want to. I don't want to trade any, like when it comes to, like Jordan Clarkson. I was all right with trading no, I Jordan. I mean, I know exactly that. what that is. Fine with that. And I think it's you know I didn't have a problem when they signed him. I didn't have a problem when they traded him. Nope. I know exactly what he is, and it's fine. He's a useful NBA right. player, but you can find useful NBA he, players. That that guy is the easiest thing to find in the yep. NBA. A, a backcourt player whose primary skill is scoring. And DMs. That guy, yes. <laughs> that guy is available more than any other player in the league. Nance was a guy who was like, oh, I don't want to give him up. Good player and good team. Didn't have a problem with it. I, I, don't, I didn't feel that like 
oh, like this is going to be a something that comes back to bite you. No, I mean, the, the Nance's time. defense aside, he is much more easy to replicate than any of the five guys Just that are a still solid, around. solid player. Yeah. I feel like they can find another guy like him at 25 this year. He's a great dude. Round. Both of us right. liked having him around. I, I, that was the biggest part of it. I don't want to... They've done a remarkably good job with important picks to where the, the worst guy of the significant picks that you could say was uh, Russell. And even that, it's like, well, they could have taken Okafor, and that would have been way worse. And yeah, they could have taken Porzingis. Uh, but, I mean, D'Angelo Russell's a competent NBA player. And if he hadn't had the knee issues, would probably be you know further along. Yeah, I mean, he, he has growing up to do. But, you know, there are, there are a lot of NBA players who entered the league immature or with attitude right. concerns if he's healthy, or whatever. Russell's going to have a real career. Exactly. Um, so it just gets to the um, to the, the the quality of what they've been yeah. doing. They're in a good, they the are in a great place. Moving why forward. people are so freaking optimistic that they're going to come away with a great player at twenty five? I mean, it's it's starting to be there. The pressure actually to where if they draft at twenty five this year and the guy turns out to be not so good. They're going to get a lot more flack for that than they should. <laughs> You're right. I mean, the, I people are thought about that. really pound them for that. <laughs> yeah, I had not thought about that. Before. Oh, they whiffed at 25. I, well, we remember when we first started covering the team, um, you know, and that was uh, Kobe and Phil's first year back together, the first year of Kwame and Smush and whatever. You know, like people would complain about what they would get. Like, I think Jordan Farmar was 26. We're like, have you seen what most guys do at pick twenty six? Go look at the guys that the Suns drafted with the with the right. Dwight Howard picks at the end of the draft. Like Jordan Farmar is a fine pick at twenty six. He's a typical he played in the league for a seven or eight. Yeah, I mean years. Jordan Farmar is typical of what you get at twenty six. No, like, he's better. I mean, better, better. He's I should better. say you're correct. Significantly you are correct. better. You are correct. Um, typical absolutely. is guy you forgot about guy? was drafted at twenty six. Right. You're absolutely you know that correct. guy played in the league. You're so absolutely correct. You, like the Lakers are at a point now where they're going to start drafting at the end of first rounds or near the end of first rounds or middle of first rounds when most teams don't get great players and they're going to get crushed for it because they've been so good at it. Yeah. So that tells you something there too. Um, I, I did want to ask you this because Lonzo made the second team all rookie. Um, were you? Does that? constitute a disappointing year you said at the beginning of the season you know that if he doesn't win rookie of the year that if he doesn't that it's it could be really damaging a year later essentially are you off that at all or is it well i would say this in some ways lonzo had his ass saved for him by kuzma making first team like if kuzma had not made first team or kuzma hadn't played this well it has been a distraction and, and lonzo still made second team you know missing what was it 30 games um, and, and the shooting issues, it would have looked a hell of a lot worse than just finishing behind Kuzma. Right. Having said that, though, I mean, it, it, it's disappointing in the sense that it reflects a year for Lonzo that was, I think, unsatisfying. You know, it wasn't bad. Like, Lonzo, when he played, was too good to be bad. And the stuff, again, we talked about earlier, that he does well, Lonzo often does exceptionally well. Yeah. But it was, it was an unsatisfying year. It was. I, I will say that I think, Andy, that part of what you were talking about was based on the, what it might mean for the perception of the team going forward. And where I think there was there's no real damage for this is because people saw enough potential in Lonzo to know what what's there. But also because of Kuzma, because of Randall, because of Ingram, Hart. because of Hart, because I think people look at Walton differently now. Because of cap space, more cap, cap space, space than they had the new facility. The all these are like some of the, the the burden on Lonzo to sort of turn things around that seemed to be put on him by Magic <laughs> as much as anyone. Magic and Lavar, yeah, um, and Palenka turned out to be less of a thing, and so because of that. I think there's there's not a lot of real. I mean, he made, did make second team despite not playing 30 games. So in some ways, you can almost look at. Although it and say, you start you start looking though at the guys who finished with fewer votes behind him, they were kind of running out of dudes. I'm just saying. I mean, and, and I don't want to take away anything from Lonzo because again, like we said, when he did play, he often played very well. They're starting to run out of dudes. No, I understand, and that but that's that's always how these things work, particularly Spe- with rookies. I will say this though. Speaking of running out of dudes, they did not run out of enough dudes that you, I think, could justify Josh Hart not getting a vote. Yeah. What do you have, like eight double-doubles, ten double-doubles, something like that? A vote. I mean, look at some of the guys who got a vote. Luke Kennard in Detroit. No. 
Frank Mason in Sacramento. I could see a vote for him, but like no. with a vote for Hart, right? Too, exactly. Right. All of this is with a, like Malik Monk. Malik Monk didn't have he a good suck. <laughs> yes, a, he sucked into the last. And I know this because you know fantasy basketball. He sucked, genuinely sucked, until the last two weeks of the season. Sidarius Thornwell he deserves votes for being named Sidarius Thornwell. Well, I mean, but like you can't tell me that he had a better year than Hart. Like you know, Semi Ojale in Boston, no. uh, Frankie Smokes in New York. Like no. Like Josh Hart was better than those guys, particularly over the second half of the season. Yes, like he and you and I have also been big. You know, I guess we're kind of Josh Hart stands, and that's fine. Josh Hart played well enough that he should get you know, at least for everybody one. Everybody who vote. gives us all kinds of crap for not being optimistic enough about this team, we like all of their players. Yes, yeah, we and even and even the player that I get annoyed by, which is Lonzo. I understand that again. It's not his fault that his head is too short. No, we and all these other things. We were are me problems. We were super problems. negative about the team when they were inexplicably bringing in Carlos Boozer. Right. I mean, and, and you know what? We were right. Turned out we were actually right. We had to watch all of those games, Andy, and come up with an hour of things to talk about after yes. each one of those games, and pretend that something was going to happen that mattered during those games, and it was not. Yeah, it's going to it's going to build some bitterness, man. And I think we earned that bitterness. Um, although I'm getting a little bit of flack today for tweeting out that it was a joke that Kobe wasn't on the all defensive team. Sometimes you just got to throw that out there. Sometimes you got to throw it out there. But I, I would say, and somebody, I, oh, it's uh, at Wait for Dusk on Twitter. Pointed out, you've you've used that one before. I have. I'm just saying. I mean, some of the flack you might get is just come up with something new. If anybody has uh, listened to this show, or heard me on the radio, or read our or read our blog, or anything like that, they know I'll beat a joke into the ground, and then I'll wait for it to get back up, and I'll beat it down again. Uh, speaking of recycling material, a good as segue as any into the conversation about Solo and Star Wars. Okay, so we've done this before. <laughs> well, right. no, no, I meant because they've been recycling. Well, and we, I think we've had versions of this conversation. We've discussed Solo. it. Solo's coming out this Solo's weekend. Solo's coming out this weekend. Um, and it's getting some decent reviews. Say it's getting good, solid reviews. Yeah, I would B, say solid. B minus level yeah, reviews. solid. Yeah. Um, and the biggest criticism of it seems to be that it's a movie that nobody asked for, like a solo origin story. And so that's one of the things I want to talk to uh, talk about too. But before we get there, these movies, and the whole Star Wars franchise to me, is kind of getting bizarre. Because now there are, this is the 10th? Well, there are there the, the there three original, originals, three, three prequels. prequels. Uh, they've done two sequel, two of the so that's eight sequel now, plus, plus Rogue, Rogue One. One. So this is 10. This will be number 10, and the the third of the... Post-quals. Se- yeah, post whatever you want to call them now. It's confusing. Uh, that's slated for Next 2019. Year. Right. Yes. Very few of them are good. So, like... Like, really Like, good. legitimately good movies. Like, I think of all of them, in, in, in uh, M-I-M-H-O... The only genuinely front to back good movie all the way through is Empire. I think A New Hope is close. And I really like Rogue One. But mo- I like it more than, than a lot of people do. Including the people in the studio. <laughs> well, certainly more than you. Jedi is half a good movie. Which one? The Last Jedi or Return of no, the Return Jedi? No, Return of. Okay, Return you of. have to make it clear. All right, because there are two Jedi, right. Return of the Jedi is half a good movie. Yes, the first half is very good. The second half is less meanders. Good. Right, <laughs> less good. Um, all three prequels, and I, I've heard people try to defend them also. Actually, no, I, I'm going to disagree with you on this. And some of this may be, be coming in comparison to what's come since. But I actually recently, it was before The Last Jedi uh, hit theaters, I think it was TNT was doing like marathons. They all, they're always right. On. And I actually, for the first time in eons, watched uh, the prequels. I, I didn't watch them straight through, but I watched parts of all three. And and I actually came to realize that particularly the the second and the third one. I, I don't remember the names of them. The, oh, okay. One of them is like a Sith, and the other. But I came to realize that parts of those are actually better than I remember, particularly in the middle one. And a lot of, and I was actually having this conversation with Jeff Katz uh, uh, today, and, and Katz, you know, for anybody who follows him on Twitter, was going nuts 
trashing uh, The Last Jedi, which he right. absolutely despised. And I kinda, For both movie-making reasons and nerdy reasons yeah, about, ne- like, yeah. about um, Katz is a you know a proud violating the rules yes. of the Jedi Katz is Order a proud and, member of the Nerd Vortex. Right. Uh, he will tell this to anybody. But I, I came to realize that so, the the prism that I viewed the prequels through was very heavily affected by how I felt about Phantom Menace. And and, and right, Phantom, Menace, Phantom Menace is the worst. Of, right, of and Phantom the three. Menace has a lot of problems, you know. But but if you replace, this is an awful thing to say, but it's true. If you replace Jake Lloyd, who played young Darth Vader, with a kid who can actually act, mm-hmm. and replace got rid of Jar Jar Binks, got rid of Jar Bar altogether, anything. which doesn't make me feel bad at all. Phantom Menace still has issues, but it's a different, better movie that's going to, at least for me changed the way I saw the following two prequels, and I came to realize that there were parts in those movies that were better than I gave them credit for at the time because I was so angry about the way The Phantom Menace set up everything. I just watched, I think it, it they're not, is... I'm not saying they're great Avengers movies. Sith, which I, do, I just don't think is very good. You know what, though? The, prequel, the prequels are better than what's come in the last four years. Now, that's an interesting question. They are better. I... And I'm separating Rogue One out of it because sure. Rogue One is demonstrably better than the prequels and both postquels. Oh, it I is, don't Andy. agree with it that. Is. I don't agree with that. The last thirty to forty minutes of Rogue One are, I think, really good. They're exciting battle scenes. So much filler to get it's to that point. It's an hour. But I thought the stuff at the beginning was good, so we just disagree about that. I the the the. Force I never Awakens, thought I'd say this. I actually think the prequels are better than what. That may be, but like I saw the Force Awakens, I I found entertaining. I went with my kids, and I saw, but I saw it a second time. Oh my god! It's Star that, it's, Wars retold. Right. It's just a remake, right? With, poorly. Um, so it doesn't really. It really does not hold up to repeated viewings in any way. And the Last Jedi, which I thought was better than the Force Awakens, I know I know you hated it. Um, is still not great. And I, I understand why people didn't like it. And it, they go beyond nerd reasons. And there's all kinds, you know. The whole plot in the casino and and stuff and like there's there's whole sections of the movie that don't. It's need a to two do and a half hour like two and forty five minute movie. I don't need to see fifteen minutes devoted towards like saving these yaks or whatever the <laughs> hell they are. I mean, it's like come on to like Gazelle, to, to yak basically things. find Benicio Toro, whose character isn't even needed in the right, first the whole place. Thing is unnecessary. There's all kinds of stuff. It's just it's overstuffed and it's. You know, and, and so little actually happens. As, as by comparison, I took the kids this weekend to see Infinity War. Yeah, and don't get into spoilers because I have not seen it. It's fun. It's, I mean, it's it, it, it definitely is just a setup. It's a giant two and a half hour setup for the second movie. Um, Which, by the way, most of these Marvel movies basically exist to set up the next thing. That's the way these universe things work now. We were entertained the whole time. I think I could sit through it again. The kids really liked it and and all that kind of stuff. It did not feel nearly as overstuffed and meandering as as Last Jedi did. I mean, look. I, and it actually has less plot than The Last Jedi. My, my biggest complaint about the Marvel movies is I think they tend to all be too long. I think all of them could be well, a half. too long. Right. They could all be half an hour shorter, by, you know, other than maybe something like an Ant-Man. But the Marvel movies are, you know, across the board, better made. Mm-hmm. They're better made movies. So, let's, and we are grateful, by the way, for the Star Wars movies because they're making bajillions of dollars and they help company, pay our right. salary. So, set it, look, so let's just, without debating. You couldn't too much pay more, us without those Star Wars movies. Without debating too much more the, the, um, uh, you know, the, the merits of each movie. I think, well, functionally, we can agree that there are now 10 movies. Fewer than half you, anybody would call good. Like no oh, that no that's a good movie like that hits every button like we're good to go whereas like universally I mean you will find people who will say sure. they're very good how, but as far as universality of the Fast and Furious franchise how many would you say are are like yeah it's a good that's a fun movie it's a good movie I like that one I would watch that again five six one um I'd say five six and one are the three best seven. Little disappointing, um, but still watchable. Still watchable. Four is odd. 
Um, four is odd and has a strange plot, but it has some very exciting scenes in it, including the the big uh, tunnel race. But they're batting over five hundred. Oh yeah, they're definitely batting above five hundred. You know, too fast, too furious is is a lot of fun, even if it's kind of a piece of crap. The only one that really sucks is Tokyo Drift. Right. Tokyo Drift it's a legitimately is legitimately terrible. Tokyo movie. Drift is bad so and it's boring. Why? What? Th- this part of it is fascinating to me. The the Star Wars franchise as a cultural thing has so transcended the actual quality of the movies in ways that that I, I just I I, I I I I want somebody to write a book about it because you know my the, the new generation of kids are into Star Wars Disney's building a Star Wars experience um, you know my kids know it your your daughter knows it and she's not even like a, a fantasy type person no. everybody knows these characters and everybody knows what this is and it's huge monumental business and the core thing that it's built on isn't good comparatively and it I, I think it's a lot of it is the nostalgia for what Star Wars meant and the distance now I think between 1977 right um, and when that first one came out and, and now to where we kind of look back on A New Hope and you know you can kind of see some of the flaws there and where it might be a little bit dated but what it meant to people and how it became part of the the zeitgeist was so profound and then followed up by the best movie in the series and then this massive gap psychologically it just occupies this weird space where the actual content that it's based on is becoming less and less and less relevant you know despite the fact that they're making movie after movie after movie now yeah i mean in some ways i think like the the cultural resonance of the first star wars you know which which hooked you know hooked everybody in the beginning i i think obviously they you know 20th century fox recognized quickly they had a big hit on their hands because you know people were you know circling around the theaters and they had the toys out really quickly and stuff but you know that that was a I don't want to say pure place because, you know, this is Hollywood. It, the goal is to make money. And, you know, it was post-Jaws. We're starting it was to enter pure the in the sense that it was surprising to people what it was. And it was newer. It was not a money printing machine right. when it began. And, you know, one of the things about – one of the big differences that I see in the, the prequels too, but especially as well the, the newer ones, is when you think about the first Star Wars – Harrison Ford was an unknown. Mark Hamill was an unknown. Carrie Fisher was an unknown. Like Alec Guinness, you know, obviously had, you know, he'd won an Oscar before, you know, he'd won, he'd been multi- he also nominated hated multiple the movie. times. What? He also hated well, he the movie. Hate, he hated it, but but Alec Guinness wasn't the star that he was in like 1957. Right. And, but I would say like the, the one guy you kind of look at and say, well, here's a real legitimate actor. Didn't even like the, being in the movie. No, no but, th- but that's not even my point. My point is it, was, it wasn't driven by star power mm-hmm. in a way... That would prevent the character, you know, these actors felt like the characters. You know, Alec Guinness, for a lot of people, felt like Obi-Wan Kenobi, because unless you were of a certain age, you really didn't know him as anything else. Like, you know, Billy D. Williams as Lando, you know, for certain audiences, particularly white sci-fi, you know, of a certain age, right. they don't know, they know Billy D. Williams as Lando more than anything else. Right, a commercial pitch man. Right, but, but that helps you buy in. Mm-hmm. Like that, that that helps transform you in a way that like particularly in an era where you can't make Zoe Saldana look different. Where, right. You know, you, you know, uh, who plays uh, it's uh, plays the bad guy in, in Infinity War. It's uh, uh, what's his name? Josh Brolin. Josh Brolin. Like he, he doesn't look like Josh Brolin. Um, and so like you can transform people now. You can have star driven. Big budget box office money printing ventures like the Marvel movies are but also take your stars and make them look a little bit different than they are so you, you get a little bit of of having it both ways I guess but I mean like to me the but the but the, but the, the unknown factor the sort of the innocence of it the well, but also too they they there. keep casting actors in it who don't need to be in it like Laura Dern who is an amazing actress she's one of my favorite oh, actresses it's distracting to see right exactly Benicio Del Toro is distracting in that role and unless he's in the next one there was absolutely no reason for him to be but in this it. is actually where I think the one-offs work a little bit better like the standalones work a little bit better the appearance of people that you recognize aren't as weird because they don't look like they're like 
hey, I'm a star. Like Laura Dern shows up on screen. And I like Laura Dern. She's a good actress. She's been, you know, done some good work over the course of her career. She doesn't fit in no. that universe. Like, no. it's weird. She looks like she's visiting that universe, you know, in, in ways that make that it's like putting Tom Cruise in that movie. It just doesn't look right. These are people that we know. There, there's and also they have a, a sensibility about that. There's also, too, I think, an issue Star Wars has, you know, the new ones that reminds me a lot of baseball. In the sense that I think it has too much reverence towards its past. Well, that was one of the criticisms of Last Jedi is that it violated some of those rules and it wasn't reverent enough. Well, but I mean, but but ultimately, though, they keep sort of they keep looking to bring back factors from the previous ones or these recognition points or, you know, essentially the the story of Luke working with Ray, you know, trying to train Ray at, you know, to fight you know a protege that went rogue i mean th- this is darth vader and luke and obi-wan well They're- it is but, but, but here's the thing it's like you have this is again why i i would almost i at this point i would rather they make a hunt 10 more movies that are just standalone movies about the this universe well that but that's actually something Pre, that post going forward where you, where you take the rules of the universe and you come up with a story. Maybe it's solo, where it's the or- an origin story, and we'll get we'll get know, to that, or maybe whatever it is. And we, we might as well sort of start this conversation now. Those because you're not the part of the problem with uh, uh, with what was not the one that came before Last Jedi, Force um, Awakens. Yeah, Force Awakens was like you said, it was a remake of all that stuff. And when these people show up on screen, the forty years that have gone on between you know between the first one and then. Harrison Ford, who I thought was as good as anybody of the old characters in the new ones in terms of playing the role, still felt like he was playing. He was Harrison Ford pretending to be Han Solo. Carrie I mean, Fisher, he said, "I'll be in this movie if you kill if you me." Kill me. Spoiler Carrie Fisher. <laughs> movie is movie three, is years, three old. years old now. Carrie Fisher felt like Carrie Fisher play acting. Yes, Princess Leia. Yes, and it's not her fault. Too much time has passed. The context is different. Mark Hamill felt Mark the same Hamill, way as Luke Skywalker. And, I, and, I, and he's trying. He's, he's working trying, his he's ass working off. He's working his ass off, particularly in, in, in this one. I thought he did pretty good. It just, it's not there. For, so at and, this and, point, you're right. I don't, it, it's too hard to watch these things. And you now. mentioned you mentioned Harrison Ford. With and, the same people, at least. Right, and, and I think Harrison Ford put probably the requisite appropriate amount of energy towards playing Han he Solo. He put more effort into that than he's done in most right, of his but more I, recent but, movies. No, but here's the difference, though. And I don't think you've seen this movie. But if you see Harrison Ford reprising the role of Deckard in Blade Runner 2049, the investment that Harrison Ford sure. has in there, not just because he's trying but because he clearly believes in the material and respects it more. The difference in Blade Runner 2049 versus what he does in The Force Awakens is night and day. And, you know, again, some of that has to do with Harrison Ford being sick of Han Solo, but some of it has to do with the material is better. I, I... There's nothing creative at I mean the prequels had their issues but at least they introduced some new stuff in it. There's nothing new think, that's been introduced this, in any of these the three new I mean, movies. And I, we're sort of just talking through this and you know this is why we do these things sort of the end of the uh, the show rather than the beginning. I I almost don't know if you can make a good a good version of that movie anymore out of the original trilogy whether going backwards or forwards. I, I don't, don't know. I wonder if you can even make a good one, like a, a really good one anymore, because we as an audience bring so much now to it until at least perhaps you get through Luke is dead, Yoda's dead, everyone's dead, and now you're only left. <laughs> <Does> you- <laughs> Yoda's already dead. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, but like where, where all that's left are the new, quote unquote, new characters, you know, emo uh, emo Darth Vader, Kylo Ren, but and, but you know, even the, him. But Rey, like for example, like to that. me, someone like Kylo Ren, and I swear we're going to get to Solo after this. Kylo Ren though is a mistake. I mean, I don't know if this comes from the books. I don't know like, or whatever. Like no, I don't, no, I don't care. I don't know. I don't care. I'm just saying in terms of generating problems. To me, Kylo Ren doesn't feel like it has to be the son of 
Leia and Han unless you choose that. And once you choose to do that, I feel like you are moving yourself yeah, I, backwards. That guy could have been any speaks, villain. Speaks to the problem. That could I have been any villain. I, I think a hundred of these. Like I am, I am almost positive that I'm going to like Solo more than some of these other ones. Even understanding that Solo has some carry through. I would be more but excited reason, about Solo the reason, if these other movies hadn't been there. I'd be more excited about. I I, the, I'm a little yeah. origin storied out. I think, but I think the reason I like Rogue One as much is because it had like nobody in it that was part of. Yeah, the, but there was just there were all these. Again, we don't have to rehash. Right. But, but I'm just saying, but that was that's part of. I think it's like you. It's the only Star Wars movie that's been made where you can go into it where other than I know how this has to end, like they got to get the plans onto the ship. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Again, movie is older, and and the and the 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 anybody listening to this conversation there, has seen the right, movies. The, the part that I'm spoiling here uh, really comes from a movie in 1977. You've had <laughs> you had a chance That's to true. catch up. That is true. It's the only one of these things that you can go into where you didn't have a a list of preconceived sure. notions, and so with that in mind. Are there any of these origin stories that you'd want to see? Are there any stories of how this happened that you'd want to see? A, a world that you just want to, you know, because this is the hard part with making this. I want to occupy the world more than I want to watch the movies. The origin story that, I mean, and I don't know if it's currently in production or not because I know it was and then there there were problems and the last I heard it was on hold. There was a Boba Fett origin story in the works that I would love to see because Boba Fett is a character that outside of the truly hardcore fans, we don't really know much about. Didn't, he's, they he's, didn't technically didn't didn't they get into his thing? It's like wasn't he like a clone and they were like they came up with can you just scrap but not, that? But not in a movie. I don't think they have really right, but it was his story was part of the prequels. Not big. I don't think it was a big part, if I, if I remember correctly. And again, I've only seen parts of the prequels, so maybe I didn't go through all of that. And maybe I don't remember it that well. But I know they have not gone hardcore into Boba. No, like, like Django Fett has the kid who's Boba, and they right. make the clones but, out of. But that's you know, sort of. Like, but that's sort of it. I just mean like sort of like something where you set up Django Fett and Boba Fett. Where I mean, real. I'm saying like relatively speaking, we don't know much about who Boba Fett is. Compared to some of these other people, the reason I would find that interesting, outside of the fact that I've just always liked Boba Fett, like he's always been Everybody one of these, inex- Fett. right? He's been this inexplicably popular character that said like seven lines of dialogue. He feels like somebody where you don't have to hold fast to anything, and you could take some chances. Like to me, Boba Fett feels like the opportunity to be the Star Wars version of what Ant Man was, because like Ant Man was, and I love Ant Man; it's a lot of fun, but yeah, it's. it's it's tonally different than a lot of these other ones. And, you know, it ended up a big hit, but it is relative to Marvel, a small hit. And it, Boba Fett feels like the one that they could make and say, you know what? This does not have to make $700 million domestically. This can make 200 175 And let's actually try to make a pretty cool, darker, riskier movie. Maybe, yeah. I mean, guys like that. I, 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 I'd like to see a movie about... Moss Eisley, just or like that, just like it doesn't have to have Luke in it, doesn't have to, but like like these people that are like occupy these places, these weird places, <laughs> Walrus like, Man, Walrus Guy, <laughs> but like you know some of Jabba, Hammerhead know? Origin Story. How does a guy, you know, how does a guy like Jabba in a lot of ways functions as you know, he's like a character in The Wire, you J- know, like Jabba would be an interesting Origin Story. Jabba would be too. great. It's like you know he's he's kind of working the corner, you know, yes. he's one of these guys that you know, that built up the empire. Doing, but but know, again, we're we're getting back to both of us have managed to pick characters that we still don't know a lot about and are much darker. Right, and to hang out with other dark people. Right, right. And again, it allows you, it, if you do this right, it immediately puts you in a place where you're going to be edgier, not worry about being as likable, take some more well, chances. That's why Han was always one of the, the more appealing characters, yes. because he was not 100% Right, good. but it's... but it And why Greedo shooting first was such a But it makes you a mistake. bit concerned that with Solo, they fired the original directors, who apparently wanted to be a little more risk-taking, and brought in Ron Howard, who I like, but he's not a big risk-taker. No. Yeah, you're right. Whatever it is... I feel like you got to get out of the, you know, I've seen some suggestions, you know, of some of the 
Actually, a Yoda origin story would be interesting. You know why? Because you can go back 800 years, you know, or however long. Like, you you could tell a story about Yoda and put it in a universe that's so long time ago in a galaxy far, far away that you could do whatever you wanted. Gets to your same point. You know, or like these weird characters like Darth Maul, some of these other guys. The problem with an origin story for Yoda while potentially interesting at the end of the day, you're going to have a two-hour, two-and-a-half, the way they do this Four movie, two-and-a-half-hour movie centered around a puppet. Mm. <laughs> that could, that there, A little Yoda goes a long way. <laughs> and I love Yoda. Little Yoda goes a long way. Overkill this, maybe. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? No, like, saying. That's, that's a lot for, that's a, lot just, for a, a Muppet to carry. It's a fascinating dilemma where you have this thing where you almost... Where financially you have to keep making. Well, I was going to say it's it's you have, both a dilemma no cho- and a non-dilemma. But there's no choice but to keep making movies. Yes, like it is it is economically suicidal. Take is it crass commercialism? No question. But it's economically suicidal to not keep making these movies. They need to keep being made. But if you have any interest in making them good, how do you do it, and where do you go? Um, it's it's a fascinating question. Anyway, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go see the solo. My kids want to see it, so I'm gonna go see it as yeah, well. Yeah, you know what? I'm curious. I just wish I were excited. The extended trailers that I've seen look better than the original. Like the teaser trailers look problematic, but I've liked it more. I'm getting used to that kid playing solo, and I like what uh, Donald Glover's done with uh, Lando. People seem to be into that. Well, it's Donald Glover's moment right now. Yeah. Like I guarantee he could be awful in this movie. Universal praise. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, he, he's he's in his Beyonce moment right now. I you like don't that. go at, and I love Donald Glover. I'm a big fan, but he's right now in the you don't attack Donald Glover moment. No, it's true. I like that little the throwaway that they have where you know where we find out that Chewie's like 198 years old or something like that, and he's, you look great. I like I like so I'm, I'm optimistic. We'll go see that, but it's it's a fascinating franchise, um, much like the Lakers, and we'll get back to talking about them next week. Uh, anything else? I think nope. we've. We've, we've gone through it all. All right, see everybody next time.